The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics Politics Podcast for March 25th, 2022. It's your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you from Austin, Texas. And we've got an excellent show for you today. I believe it's a excellent show. It is a show that is both gazing into the future and contemplating the past. Indeed, we will look ahead to see whether or not the confirmation of Judge Jackson to the Supreme Court is indeed a test case for a few presidential candidates. And to do that, we will look in the past and see how it has been used as a platform to do just that very recently. We will also take a grand look back at at something that that reasserted itself into the news cycle over the last week, and that is Hunter Biden's laptop. Why is Hunter Biden's laptop in the news? Well, it's because the New York Times, in a very New York Timesy way, for the first time confirmed that it was real. So. With that as our news peg, we will look back at everything that went on leading up to the revelation of that and whether or not from this side of the election, we believe that things went as they should have. We will also have an interview about somebody that I find to be fascinating. Her name is Brittany Griner, and you may or may not know her, but she is a famous women's basketball player, somebody that became truly a a big name in sports because she was able to regularly dunk in a game that doesn't particularly lend itself to that particular move. But the reason why we're talking about her on a politics podcast is not because she is good at basketball. It's because right now she's being detained in Russia. And as Joe Biden is out in Europe discussing what the EU and really the Western world is going to do with Russia, there is a question of why a famous American athlete's detention is not a bigger story. We will discuss that with our guest today. The confirmation of Judge Jackson to the Supreme Court is all but sealed, even as we record this earlier in the week. So the thing that interests me most about her confirmation process is not the ultimate outcome, but rather how it 
happens. And more specifically, who is saying what when she is questioned? Because regardless of whether or not this is a smooth sailing situation and the only real thing at stake in terms of the final vote in the Senate will be whether or not Susan Collins or Lisa Murkowski or Mitt Romney vote for her as Republicans. If you look a little bit further over the horizon, you might see a little bit of resume building happening. This from Politico. Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Tom Cotton, and Marsha Blackburn are all grilling Supreme Court nominee Kentaji Brown-Jackson this week. But how many of them will run for president in two years? Quote, Republican Senator Tom Tillis, I'd set the line at two, and I'd bet the over. Now, I would agree, Senator Tillis, and <laughs> I, I, I believe that Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, and Tom Cotton will all run for president. Whether or not Blackburn does as well, you know, we will we will see. But it made me think back to the last time that things got particularly animated during a Supreme Court nomination. And while, and I think it's for the best in, in all cases, this confirmation will not reach the absolute lunacy, knives out stabbery that was the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings, it does help to go back in time and remember that there were a few folks on that committee that wound up running for president. Indeed, three of the most uh, animated personalities, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, and Amy Klobuchar. The last of which had this super weird interaction with Kavanaugh. I, I, no, I remember what happened and... I think you've probably had beers, Senator, and and so... So I, you're saying there's never been a case where you drank so much that you didn't remember what happened the night before or part of what happened? That's You're asking about, yeah, blackout. I don't know. Have you? Could you answer the question, Judge? I just So you that's not happened. Is that your answer? Yeah, and I'm curious if you have. I have no drinking problem, Judge. Yeah, nor do I. Okay. Thank you. Now, I don't know how much their appearance during the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings helped any of those three. Klobuchar wound up lasting the longest, and even she bailed out in a way to help uh, Joe Biden steal his position against a possible con uh, convention deadlock against Bernie Sanders. Kamala flamed out before the Iowa caucus voting Booker did not last much long after that. But it is notable that they took this opportunity to make a name for themselves. Uh, all of them had moments that went viral on the Internet and played ad nauseum on 24-hour cable news. Now, there's not going to be as much coverage on this confirmation hearing as there was for Kavanaugh, because a Supreme Court Justice being accused of serial sexual misconduct is something that has a little bit more cultural relevance and newsworthiness 
than anything that's happening currently. But that has not stopped Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley from trying to make a mark. Hawley telegraphed a line of attack earlier in the week and has followed through on it, bringing up Jackson's sentencing with sex offenders. Cruz, meanwhile, has attempted to tie the justice to critical race theory. Both of those points, the protection of children and the banning of critical race theory, are two massive issues when it comes to conservative voters. Both of them are points that will resonate with the eventual people they're going to need to get into a booth and hit their button. Now, will these particular issues be anything that anyone remembers in Iowa next year? No, probably not. But in all truth, they don't really need it to be. What they want is for these moments to go viral amongst the conservative social media class and on Fox News. If that happens, at the very least, they can raise some money and build their mailing list a little bit. And those are things that you absolutely need when it comes to running for president. In the New York Times, the paper of record, the old gray lady. 23 paragraphs into an article, this paragraph appears. People familiar with the investigation said prosecutors had examined emails between Mr. Biden, Mr. Archer, and others about Burisma and other foreign business activity. Those emails were obtained by the New York Times from a cache of files that appears to have come from a laptop abandoned by Mr. Biden in a Delaware repair shop. The email and others in the cache were authenticated by people familiar with them and with the investigation. End paragraph. Seems unremarkable. So deep into the story. Why is it stirring up so much sturm and drong? Well, I'll tell you. It's because that paragraph that I just read you is the first time that the New York Times has authenticated what was and is a hotly contested story about politics, political bias, social media, and of course, the only story that matters to journalists. Journalism. Could I be talking about anything else but Hunter Biden's laptop? So let's go ahead and remember this story in case you're a little bit foggy on it. Joe Biden's connections to Ukraine by way of his son Hunter had been a story for years. Then President Trump's obsession with it resulted in his first impeachment. Now, we're not going to go into every little detail here, but just know that there is a context to how this story developed. We'll refresh ourselves now on the bizarre chain of custody. In April 2019, according to the owner of a Mac repair shop in Wilmington, Delaware, a man that bore a resemblance to Hunter Biden dropped off a damaged laptop and asked to have information recovered. The owner of that shop, J.P. Mac Isaacs, is legally blind and said that he could not concretely identify that it was indeed Hunter Biden visually because of his disability. 
However, the work order was filled out for Hunter Biden and the laptop had a Bo Biden Foundation sticker on it. Bo Biden, of course, being Hunter's now deceased brother. According to Isaacs, when no one came back for the laptop, he eventually looked at the recovered data only to find, well, a lot. Explicit photos, videos, and personal emails that indeed involved Hunter Biden's business in Ukraine. It's at this point that Isaac says he called the FBI to take the laptop and the hard drive into custody, which they did in late 2019. Isaac says from there, he never heard back from the FBI. But only a few months later, the biggest news in politics was the impeachment of Donald Trump over his dealings with Ukraine, and specifically Donald Trump pushing the president of Ukraine, then a far less known Vladimir Zelensky, to open an investigation into the Bidens and Burisma. Isaac says that, especially considering what was being talked about, the center of this entire conflict, he was floored by the fact that the laptop and the information tying Hunter and Joe Biden to Burisma was not brought up during that impeachment investigation, since he'd given the information to the government. Fearing that this information was being covered up, Isaac says he gave his duplication of the hard drive to Rudy Giuliani's lawyer so it would be publicly aired. Giuliani's lawyer says that he only got the tip off because Isaac sent him a random email to one of Rudy Giuliani's websites. Rudy says that he shopped the information to a few places, first Fox News, who passed on it before the New York Post took it. Reports inside the New York Post newsroom were split on what to do with it. And yet, on October 14, 2020, they published The Bombshell. Headline, Smoking Gun Email Reveals How Hunter Biden Introduced Ukrainian Businessman to VP Dad. As you can clearly tell, the Post story led with the Ukrainian emails as the reason to publish. That is the newsworthy driver on why this needs to get out. However, to prove their authenticity, they also ran some of those salacious photos recovered from the laptop, showing Biden family outings, shirtless hunter selfies, and of course, the passed out Hunter Biden with a crack pipe only loosely dangling from his lips. The Post did not release screen grabs or footage of the sex tape they said was also found and viewed. Now, especially looking back, it's amazing how much of a Rorschach moment this was. Because to conservatives... What they got was the long-delayed payoff to Hillary Clinton's email servers. Everything that they possibly could think would be on that now is there for Joe Biden. 
all the dirty secrets. This is the city of New York shutting down the Ghostbusters containment field and watching the ghouls fly all over Manhattan. But to liberals, this was a crystal clear disinformation ploy meant to muddy the waters and what looked like a Biden victory, just in the same way that Vladimir Putin had made sure that the WikiLeaks organization was publishing things in a strategically uh, advantageous time to sink Hillary Clinton. This was his final ploy to knock down Joe Biden. But beyond a muted to skeptical response from the heads of the table in the world of the media, and I'll describe that as the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, NBC, blah, 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 which I will add here editorially is not odd, considering the disdain that all of those outlets show for tabloids in general and the New York Post in specific. The real news about Hunter Biden's laptop, in my opinion, came from the social media world, including Twitter and Facebook, that both restricted sharing of the link to the story and in Twitter's case, locked the New York Post's account in full, saying that they would not unlock it until the Post deleted that link. This was done under Twitter's hacked materials policy, which is usually there to protect against, you know, let's say revenge porn as the most salacious example. That policy was later amended and the New York Post was allowed back on. So looking back, let's get this out of the way. Do I think that political bias played a factor here? in either the other media outlets that would normally amplify this kind of story and didn't, or the social media companies that restricted the distribution of this particular story. Yes, I do. If this was Donald Trump Jr.'s laptop with the exact same kind of material on it, I believe it would have been given a fairer airing, questionable origins and all. But the real thing I'd like to interrogate here is the idea that journalism is the gatekeeper against legit information leaked by bias to even malicious sources. Because I don't think that that mindset is either good for the health of the profession, nor does it serve the readers and viewers that come to depend on these information dissemination hubs. In a defense of the censorship, Philip Bump of the Washington Post very recently cited reasons for suspicion of Russia, Trump operatives, and curiously, this line about the New York Post's publishing decision. Quote, after the story came out, the Post, and he's talking about the New York Post, not the Washington Post, didn't share the material with other outlets for them to do their own investigations. In other words, coverage necessarily depended on taking the Post's words for things, which in itself is a disincentive to other outlets. End quote. I take tremendous exception with that. In fact, I think that's offensive, and I think Bump is a better writer and reporter 
than to say something so profoundly stupid that he knows for a fact is wrong. A newspaper or any outlet that scoops everyone else is under no obligation to share with any other news outlet. Now, 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 you can make the argument that the Post should have published more of the raw data for their readers, and of course, other news outlets could then scrape that and make their own decisions. But the assumption that they should have turned their raw data over to other quote-unquote respectable outlets like the Washington Post or the New York Times is a joke. It's literally the definition of competition amongst news outlets. If I got a scoop that nobody else has, then it is on you to do your reporting and catch up until you are where I am, or more specifically, where you have an opportunity to advance the story past where I have it. Every moment that you don't do it is a moment that you need to work harder. Let me make this triple clear. If I had compromising information on a powerful figure and I broke that story on this podcast, I would protect the raw data against other news outlets like Gollum did the One Ring. Bump goes on to hang much of his defense of the media blackout on this idea that gatekeepers felt responsible in 2016 for elevating the WikiLeaks email hacks, which were widely assumed then and now to at least involve Russian state influence. To which I would say this. Hacked emails are a story, if legit, no matter who hacked them. So is the Access Hollywood tape, despite the fact that I'm sure on some level it was under NDA, no matter who leaked it. So is the Mitt Romney 47% comments, despite the fact that there was a ban on recording in the room. So was the Steele dossier, and on, and on, and on. Guess who normally shops politically damaging information? Political operatives, that's who. Now, maybe I'm an absolutist on this, but I believe that journalism's job is not to censor what could be bias leaks or foreign interference, but to vet and report information with appropriate qualifiers. What the New York Post had was a hard drive with emails that looked to be written to and from Hunter Biden. Pictures of Hunter Biden with a crack pipe hanging out of his mouth and a 12-minute sex video. Considering Hunter's history with drug addiction and his, I will use the euphemism, wandering affections, either of these seem implausible. In fact, they seem likely. Now, I'm sure that the New York Post did their due diligence in looking for metadata and everything else that you would possibly use to make sure that these are as legit as possible. But let me also point something out here. The New York Post took a tremendous risk running with this in the same way that 60 Minutes and Dan Rather took a tremendous risk running with the information saying that George W. Bush was a deserter or his military record was in question, 
as we ran closer and closer to the 2004 election. Every time you are running a story like this, with information that has been fed to you, no matter who fed it to you, no matter how they fed it to you, you are taking a risk. It just so happens that the Post was right here. It could have been deep faked. It could have been manufactured. But in the absence of evidence to say it's bunk, the New York Post won. Or at least they should have. They should, this should have been covered more than it was. This should have been spread more than it was. And while it became an infamous story, I don't believe it truly got the airing that it should have. It was buried. Now look, politics are messy and embarrassing. Voters deserve to know information, no matter where it comes from. As I've said a million times, we are in a particularly ripe era for digital theft of personal materials, be it Russia, paid political operatives, or randos doing it for the lulls. This information will be available only more and more in the future. And considering how much of our lives is covered with SMS, pictures, videos, and emails, I can only believe that the secrets we keep will only be revealed in more and more clarity. To deny this information from being vetted and acknowledged by the most robust journalism budgets in the world is a shame. The next story like this is going to be juicier. And my hope and advice is the same to Hunter Biden's repair etiquette as it is to journalism and social media outlets. Next time, I hope we remember to handle it better. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to support this show, there's only one place to do it. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. By the way, uh, there is an event coming up that I want to let you guys know about. If you are in the central Texas area, April 9th, uh, you can uh, come on out to an event called Founders Day. That is uh, Brian Brushwood's event. Uh, It'll be on uh, April 9th again here in Austin, Texas. And uh, I will be there. Andrew Heaton will be there. You can uh, feel free to uh, hang out and BS with us. It's going to be a really good time. Tom Merritt, I believe, is going to be here. So uh, if you'd like tickets for it, you can head on over to scamstuff.com and just search for the product Founders. It's a little secret because... You know, there's only so much capacity here, but I do believe there's a couple dozen tickets left. Uh, uh, I would love to see some PX3 folks. Uh, I'm not doing a PX3 thing, but I am doing a live great night show and I'll be there BSing the entire day. So you can feel free to come on up, hang out. I don't know if there'll be anything for me to buy, but if you have a jury buys you a drink token, then I will certainly procure a drink for you. 
But uh, come on out. It is Founders Day, April 9th in Austin, Texas. To get tickets again, go to scamstuff.com and uh, search for Founders in the search box. Of course, one more time, the only way to get two bonus shows each and every week is to head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Our Sunday show is, uh, or sorry, our Monday morning show is our Sunday, Sunday, Sunday broadcast where you get my Rosetta Stone for what I believe will be the top stories of the week based on what is discussed in the, 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 the programming center of the political world, the Sunday morning chat shows. And then, of course, Thursday is our late edition because I record this episode earlier in the week. That means that the latest news that we cover is on Thursday. Head on over. Support independent journalism. You know, I think I I think I saw the New York Times use that quote. Support independent journalism from the New York Times. What a gas. What a laugh. Take politics seriously.com. As we speak right now, Brittany Griner is in a Russian detention facility. She is somebody of repute, a star in the world of women's basketball that does not have many stars. And yet, we are not talking about her. An American celebrity in Russia being detained? Shouldn't that be something that is mentioned not only in sports media, but also general news coverage and quite possibly on the lips of politicians, big and small. Why is that not the case? To talk about that and more, we are joined by Aaron Solomon, the chief legal analyst for Esquire Digital and the editor of today's Esquire. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Justin, thanks for having me. This is a very important issue we're going to talk about today. You know, it is a fascinating one uh, uh, for for a lot of reasons. And and let me just lay things out here for folks who uh, need to get caught up on this story. Brittany Griner, uh, obviously a a big name in college basketball that has not had, sorry, not college basketball, women's basketball that has, uh, uh, you know, not had a tremendous amount of, of big names to it. She, like many women's basketball players have has found uh, a lot of money in the offseason playing in Russia and it was on a trip out there that she was detained uh, that happened in mid February where are we now so today was a very interesting day because one of the big things in the Brittany Griner case is that the United States government has had no access to her Mm-hmm. And only this afternoon, on the afternoon that we're recording this, yep. uh, did the which, U.S. Which is consulate, Wednesday, March 23rd, for folks keeping correct, track. Wednesday, March 23rd. Yeah. Um, did the U.S. consulate in Russia have an opportunity to visit with her? And that was a very positive visit in that they were able to confirm that she was in, quote, good condition. Now, that's the good news. Yeah. The bad news is she's not out. 
She doesn't really have prospects of getting out of Russian detention anytime soon for a variety of reasons. But at least we have finally confirmed from the United States, the Department of State, that they were granted access to her and she's in good condition. The reason why the Russian government says that they detained her was because they found vaporizer cartridges with uh, hashish oil. But I mean, this is, I, I assume, the the same stuff that you'd buy in many places where it's legal, like Nevada, California and others. Uh, do we know whether or not that is the case? So a couple of things. First of all, I honestly don't know anything about drugs. And when I heard this, I was thinking is hashish oil something one puts in a vape? It didn't seem, didn't sound kosher to me. Maybe it is, but <laughs> there's a couple of things. Number yeah. one, she was charged with bringing back into Russia. So she'd already started her season in Russia. Uh-huh. This is her seventh season playing for a team called UMMC Yekaterinburg. It's a big city up in the Ural Mountains. So she was playing in a FIBA World Cup qualifying tournament, re-entering Russia. And allegedly, we've got to use the term allegedly all the time here. i got to have my lawyer hat on because it's just what the Russian government is telling us. She had trafficking amounts of these cartridges and the quote unquote hashish oil. So that's why she's facing potentially a decade in prison. Because that is the 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 uh, that is the, the penalty. Here, right? There have been similar cases in which, uh, especially foreigners, have been charged with upwhere between seven and, and nine years in prison. Yes. And, you know, the important thing for our listeners to remember is you got to separate yourself from having the American mentality when it comes to this. Yeah. America is a democracy and we have rule of law. Russia, as we know, and we know certainly more now in the past month, is not a democracy and there's no rule of law. So the law that Brittany Griner is going to have to deal with here is twofold. Number one, whatever codified law there is in Russia, that's going to determine what happens. And two, whatever the heck they want to do. Yeah. Uh, I saw in research for this interview that the Russian government has released footage of her at the airport. Uh, Have you seen this footage? I have. And again, no one's doubting that she was at the airport. Sure. Yeah, I guess that was that was that was what I just wanted to make sure that we were on the same page because it doesn't show at any point in this footage that she pulls out two vape cartridges. And uh, while I I, I, uh, understand and and admire your your stance as a teetotaler, let me say as somebody who has bought (laughs) several of these vape cartridges, I know what they look like. I mean, they're 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 pretty easy to spot and nowhere in that video. While it does have people, you know, having her open up various, it looks like almost Amazon packaging, uh, but that same kind of bubble mailer stuff. There's never a moment in which it looks like that gets pulled out. If if that is something that is is being highlighted, it, it at least missed me. But have you seen any evidence or do you see anything in that video that might point to the fact that this was a a quote unquote, justified arrest for at least the crime that is illegal in that country? I'm going to say no with a but. So no, the answer to your direct question is no. I have not seen anything um, that looks like what I imagine a vape cartridge would look like. Yeah. Number two, though, we have to remember, and I'm not, this is not any kind of shot against Brittany Griner personally. The reality is when American athletes play internationally, and, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to live all over the world, 
Yeah. When you live as an expat, you understand what the rules are. And sometimes you press the rules a bit because, you know, you think you're not going to get caught or you think that if you do get caught, they're going to let you go. My own personal belief is that two things are in play here. Number one is the reason that Britain Griner was taken by the Russian government is at that time, as they were about to get ready to invade Ukraine, mm-hmm. she was the highest profile American athlete in Russia. Yeah. And I've done some research on that. And there's no doubt that she was. We can get more into detail with that later. But the second thing is, yeah, I mean, I think probably it's conceivable that she had something on her that she probably shouldn't have had when she was reentering the country. Trafficable amounts of the things that they're saying, I would strongly doubt it. I guess that and as a lawyer, you would know that 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 is depending on what they set the line of trafficable amounts are. Right. Of course. Yeah. Um, again, you know, my understanding, it wasn't just a vape park cartridge or a couple. It was a fair amount of stuff that she had on her, which makes no sense at all. Just logically, if she was living in Russia, which she was because yep. the season had already begun, she leaves to play an international tournament, knowing full well she has to reenter Russia and go through customs. So without knowing that she has, you know, there's been no pictures of what was seized from her. The video that is released does not show anything. We now are in a situation where regardless of if she had something on her or not, we are in an international incident situation. And the reason why I find this entire story fascinating is because Brittany Griner, although not the biggest name in sports, is certainly a bold-faced enough name that if put in extraordinary circumstances, which I would list this as, would be a gigantic story. And yet not only hasn't it been that, I believe there is only one politician that has come out, uh, uh, a representative from California that has come out and said that she should be released. But indeed, there has been reporting from ESPN and others that it is Brittany Griner's own people that are saying, let's not make a big deal about this because it will be easier for her to get home if she is not cause celebrité amongst the political class. Is is there anything else that I'm that I'm missing or or is that a smart strategy from those that care for Brittany Griner? So I don't think you're missing anything. I think that was very, very well summarized. I'm not sure it's a smart strategy. And here's why. If Brittany Griner is, quote unquote, no big deal, then what Russia has done is they've taken someone as a political pawn that doesn't have a lot of weight and doesn't have a lot of leverage. It would seem to me that when you go to invade a country, that you'd like to have somebody in your possession who actually does carry a lot of weight. Now, realistically, Brittany Griner is not going to have the kind of weight that's going to get America to drop economic sanctions. But it could be, you know, a good exchange for a future political pawn. I say future because anybody looking at the Brittany Griner situation on the 23rd of March who thinks that this thing is going to be over real soon Uh, is deluding themselves. Right now, we're looking at a May 19th court date, the most recent one, and that's just never going to happen. This is going to keep getting pushed as things can in Russia until Russia decides that they want to have leverage over a situation in which they want to use Brittany Griner. So uh, you mentioned uh, the, the court date in May. Uh, at least by my perusal of uh, internet resources, it appears that the Russian government 
by their laws have to about a year or a year and a half to actually send somebody to trial? Correct. The laws, by the way, which are remarkably fungible, meaning, <laughs> that, meaning that, you know, they could decide a year from now that it, they actually meant two years or three years. Again, it's very difficult. You know, I went to law school in the United States. It's very difficult when we have rule of law to understand that other countries can just kind of change things or not follow what their own procedures are. I mean, all we have to do this week is look to what's happening with Mr. Navalny in Russia yeah. with, you know, his ridiculous sentences to understand that Russian courts work the way the Russian oligarchs and governments want them to work. And that was a nine year sentence that just came down the pike uh, for, now. for, for, yeah, for yeah. Navalny, at least. Yeah, surely uh, maybe uh, more than that, seeing as he is not exactly the most popular man in Putin's Russia. Uh, uh, back to Griner. She not only is somebody that has uh a name in sports, but she also is somebody that has become a divisive political figure by way of her protest against the United States anthem uh, during the bubble season of the WNBA playoffs. Uh, uh, Is the fact that she is going to have a harder time being a universally rooted for uh, a, a political prisoner, something that that hurts her in, in the long run, if what we are looking at here is the, the possibility that this is going to have to, for her safety, become a, a, a somewhat of a publicity game? I'm going to take that excellent question as a long way of saying, wouldn't it be better if she was Kyrie? Of course, it should be better if she was Kyrie. Uh, maybe, maybe not Kyrie. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, uh, uh, maybe Steph. Yes. Uh, Kyrie. Uh, Kyrie I don't know. comes Ky- with his own. He Kyrie comes with comes his own. His own free Kyrie, yeah, Ky- Kyrie is not. You, you might you might have picked the only male example that is as divisive, if not more so. <laughs> that That's true. No, I mean, look. So Brittany Griner is black and queer. Doesn't get her a lot of points in Russia. Doesn't get her a lot of points in certain circles in the United States. In other circles, it gets her lots of points. So I don't think personally that her being a divisive character is going to be determinative one way or another of her fate. The reality is, you know, she is, we have to remember this, the WNBA, let's just be honest. The reason that all of these players are playing in places like Turkey and China and Russia these WNBA players, is because the league doesn't pay as it should. The new collective bargaining agreement in the WNBA makes it even worse for these players. You're probably saying, huh? The new CBA? It's because it imposes ridiculous 1% a day fines on athletes who don't get back for the beginning of the WNBA season, and none of these top European leagues end in time. So it's going to dramatically cut into the earning potential of somebody like a Brittany Griner, who earns four and a half times as much playing in Russia as she does in the United States. If you ask Brittany Griner, hey, Brittany, would you like to make the totality of the money that you make in the United States and not have to play anywhere else and not have to play all year? Of course, she'd say yes. Now, there is also the fact that that part of the reason why, at least in Russia, that some of these players get paid and, and in interviews with uh, Diana Taurasi, who played with Brittany Griner, I believe on the same team that she was heading back toward. The reason why the money is as uh, as it is, is because there is effective money laundering happening in these leagues. And that is why they are able to move the kind of cash to to the players. Uh, uh, how much of of that element is also in play here, considering Putin seems to, at this point, 
be at odds with some of his oligarch inner circle. Justin, you say money laundering like it's a bad thing. <laughs> Uh, look, I mean, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know how. Look, if 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 four vapes are are enough to traffic, I, I don't know what kind of uh, player salaries are considered to be money laundering. But uh, at least at least on on Russian standards. But that at least has been what Diana Taurasi has said. Yes, and in fact, I have a great Diana Taurasi quote from 2016. She said, we had to go to a communist country to get paid like capitalists, which is so backward to everything that the history books taught us in sixth grade. So, I mean, I don't even need to add anything to that. It's absolutely so perfect. Yes, the Russian League, the teams are owned by oligarchs, oligarchs own teams. I mean, Roman, Abr- Roman Abranovich, you know, has to sell Chelsea. Um, and his yacht is hiding somewhere at the moment. That's what oligarchs do. However... As powerful in the United States as we believe Russian oligarchs to be, the oligarchs can't get their superstar out of jail right now, can they? No, they cannot. And and that is something that, you know, I believe there was a, a Putin speech uh, last Friday as we record this on a Wednesday in which he was very critical of, of, of oligarchs, specifically those that live abroad and, and, you know, called them satisfied with living in the hallways of another empire instead of tending to their, uh, their people in Russia. So obviously this is a, a, a a free flowing situation as we continue to enter into uh, the second month of the Russian invasion in Ukraine. If I were to tell you right now that Brittany Griner's name is on the lips of Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and Joe Biden, and everybody is wearing her number on a lapel pin. Do you think that that makes her closer to coming home or further away? Um, neither, to tell you the truth. I think that Russia's going to be in that situation saying, great, finally, people are recognizing that the person that we took as a political pawn is actually valuable. And let's just be honest, she's not getting home without a deal. My feeling on this whole Russian invasion of Ukraine Mm -hmm. is that it ultimately ends with Putin as Nicolas Ceausescu. I mean, he's going to end up hanging somewhere. But the thing is, it's not going to happen in three months. So, uh, you know, that's not going to help her get home fast. The latest story that we heard a couple of days ago from the Russian news agency, TASS, is that Brittany is sharing a cell with two first-time offenders who are helping her because her Russian language is very elementary, mm-hmm. and she's reading Dostoevsky in translation to understand the Russian people. She's <laughs> going to have time to get through a few books. So I guess, yeah, regardless of whether or not we believe that that Putin survives uh, uh, this invasion or not, I think it is you are wise to say that this probably does not end with any kind of summary judgment by a Russian judge, but rather possibly as some part of of uh, a larger deal that happens between the Western nations, the sanctions that have been put on Russia and contingent upon some activity in Ukraine, right? I agree 100%. And that doesn't seem exactly close. (laughs) Doesn't seem like that's going to happen in the next 48 hours, Aaron. No, that's what I'm saying. This whole thing, I mean, people are going to be all up in arms when they wrap their minds around the fact about this, you know, May 19th date, and that date gets pushed back. 
but there's yeah. absolutely no reason for the May 19th date to happen. Now, the good news, let's say, there's very good news today. The good news today is she's in the condition that honestly we expected her to be in. It doesn't behoove Russia in any way not to treat this athlete well. I hope she's yeah. getting fed properly. I'm sure she's not training as an athlete does, but I hope she gets to stretch her legs and get a little bit of exercise and whatever the case, because it makes sense for them to keep her in really good condition. But she's not playing basketball anytime in the very near future. Yeah, I believe the report I saw today was that the biggest problem was that uh, not only is she taller than most female prisoners, uh, she's taller than most prisoners in general in, in Russian custody. And, and so the beds are are the biggest problem so far. Now, now you mentioned NBA stars, Steph Curry, Kyrie Irving. Let's imagine for whatever reason uh, uh, and, and let's let's say Kyrie, because that would be the most realistic is that randomly when he's not allowed to play in New York City, he decides to take a day trip to to Moscow. <laughs> and, yeah, sure. He would. And, yeah. And is and is arrested for literally the same thing. It doesn't sound to me like you think things would be much different, although certainly it would be a topic on, you know, a pardon the interruption in Sports Center. Well, let's just be honest. I mean, if Putin was able to get a Kyrie Irving, you know, then he would have leverage to say to the United States, okay, look, those, you remember all that money that you took from our reserves, our central bank reserves? That equals one Kyrie. Now, Brittany doesn't equal that. I I know people are going to hear this and be upset with what I'm saying. I'm just being realistic when it comes to Macht politic, right? You look at this from the power politic lens. And that's not what Brittany Griner is worth to Russia and the United States in a trade. Now, people, I've had several interviews on this over the past few days where people have said, well, why specifically Brittany Griner? It's because at that moment when Russia was getting close to invading Ukraine, they thought, who are the top American celebrities and athletes in this country right now? Now, the top Russian sports league is the KHL, the Continental Hockey League. Mm-hmm. There are no American players in that league as high profile as Brittany Griner. She really is the number one athlete in Russia at that time that they could detain so they did the best thing they could do is detain her. Would it be Kyrie? They'd be winning the lottery. We'd be totally different bargaining chip. Total side note. I, I and and I followed hockey for for years and years. But that is really weird that uh, European players and certainly Russian hockey players get these mega offers from the KHL, but but very rarely American ones. At least you know not as much as as what you hear. You know the 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 Diana Taurasi's and Brittany Griner's of the world wind up getting for playing women's basketball commensurate to what they can get for the WNBA. Well, because the top Russian hockey players end up in the NHL only when their career is over. It's over that they, they end go to up the getting KHL. The big money. Yeah. Exactly. Or because during the lockout. Because they've made huge names in North America yeah. and people in places like Kazan and Minsk want to watch them play. All right. So if one Kyrie would actually be something for which they could use as a bargaining chip and no matter what you believe was in Brittany Griner's suitcase, we can, from this point forward, um, uh, think of her as a political prisoner, then what is Brittany Griner worth? If, if, if we set the Kyrie price at please free up uh, all of our uh, funds being held in, in the central banks, then then realistically, what is the price for Brittany? She, I, I, that's a great question. The realistic price for Brittany is 
one to two political detainees of the same level. It's not releasing um, bank funds. It's not yeah. stopping economic sanctions. Uh, it's something like that. And again, the United States really isn't in that business. You know, it doesn't work that way in the United States where President Biden can just be like, oh, by the way, we got Brittany Griner back in exchange for this and that. It's not that easy to do. And right now there is nobody in that position. It's not like if the United States wanted to do that trade today, they have one or two people that Russia wants. But anybody thinking that Brittany Griner is going to get traded or exchanged for all the sanctions against Russia, there's no way. It's not even close. Oh, yeah, I don't I mean, because a lot of that isn't even solely on America anymore. You know, there, there's so I mean that that is that is far, far, far bigger than than, than Brittany Griner, no matter how much she can dunk uh, uh, compared to the rest of women's basketball. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, I guess but the idea of releasing a, a political prisoner, you know, uh, uh, Obama did do that for for Bo Bergdahl uh, with, with with similar enemy combatants. Uh, I, I wonder uh, you know that would be a politically not non advantageous move right now for Biden, who is being very tough on on Russia, as certainly rhetorically. Uh, I, I wonder if that is also part of it for for the Democrats, knowing that hey, this probably only leads to us conceding something, so she can come home. Maybe we don't talk about this so much. Yeah, I mean. Uh that's great, right? That's great. But the thing is, we just don't have enough facts at this point. We're working yeah. with our own perspectives and we're working with, with whatever information has been given us to by Russian media, which again is going to be pretty sketchy. And only yeah. today do we actually have vetted information from the US government. So I think that those things are going to make just hypothesis kind of the status quo for the next few weeks. There's been no statement from her, right? Like, like do we no. do we know if she maintains her innocence or? Nope. And plus, it it would not, from a legal perspective, make any sense for her to say anything sure. at this point. Yeah. What we do know, again, from Tass, so that's not great, is that no. she supposedly has a couple Russian attorneys that she's been meeting with multiple times during the week. The State Department's not going to want that. The State Department is going to want to make sure, and I'm sure the WNBA would as well, that the most ideal situation would be that she has Russian attorneys that are aligned with U.S. law firms. Even though most U.S. law firms have pulled out of Russia, they still have essentially aligned attorneys there. So somebody working with a big law firm like Baker McKenzie out of Moscow, an attorney working there would have the kind of trust that the WNBA and the U.S. government would be interested in working with. And, you know, when we talk about the the, the WNBA, it is certainly, you know, uh, uh, aligned and, and share many owners with with the NBA. This is this is a very interconnected uh, organization and one that. Uh, you know, gets play on national television here in America, you would imagine that should this stretch on, which it sounds like from what you're saying is likely into the WNBA season, this is this is going to get talked about on a wider level one way or another the longer this stretches on. You have to imagine, right? You have to imagine, but, you know, any... I don't I don't feel in any way that the NBA is as horrific a league as far as a business perspective as the NFL is, as an example. But let's be honest about it. Right. I mean, the annual revenue 
of the WNBA is not much more than Kyrie Irving earns in a season. Let that sink in for a second. The $60 million a year is what the WNBA makes. Kyrie Irving makes around $40 million a year. So don't tell me that the NBA is going to be bending over backwards to raise awareness for Brittany Griner, the WNBA, or more importantly, actually help in any real way that's going to cost them money. No, but it might happen by way of the players. Uh, you know, the, the the players certainly drive the bus, at least publicity wise in that league via social media. So if I for whatever reason this were to happen via them, I, I would see it more than it being a press release from Adam Silver with the NBA. Oh, no doubt. And, you know, of all people, remember who started the this spelling of the free Britney hashtag last week on Twitter was Hillary Clinton. So she was trying to basically point out the fact that when Britney Spears was going through all of the issues with her conservatorship, the free Britney hashtag was wildfire. And perhaps the Britney Griner hashtag should have the same kind of trajectory. It hasn't even after Hillary Clinton's tweets last week. But we're getting closer. I mean, you and I are having this conversation today. Mm -hmm. That's good. Another stunning loss for Hillary Clinton, but uh, uh, certainly something that I believe is uh, uh, continuing to build. And it is a fascinating story as far as I am concerned, because, uh, boy, whenever you have a a, a human story amongst, you know, uh, b- between the cogs of, of machines that are far, far, far bigger than her, uh, y- you can't help but but look at it uh, with, with awe and fascination. Our guest has been Aaron Solomon, the chief legal analyst of Esquire Digital. Uh, Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk about this with us, Aaron. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Justin. And that wraps it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Our show was edited today by Brett Stewart. If you would like to say thank you... To Aaron for coming on the show, head on over to px3guest.com. You want to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Twitter is px3tweets. Our Twitch, where we are live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, is px3live. You can share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy at px3podcast.com. And you can find our merch at politicsmerch.com. If you'd like to support us with a one-time payment, you can... Hit me up at paypal.me slash payjury. Our Venmo is justin-young-20. The Cash app is px3cash. And you can send me anything you'd like in the mail. Just make it out to Justin Young, P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can always get bonus content at takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we missed during our free podcast schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name read right at the end of the podcast, like these fine folks. In the Titanic $10 tier. Andres, unsafe DB levels. Idris Arslandian, DJ Katie Mack, Neemeister, Dr. G, Admiral Flapjack, Utah Jimmy Montana, Edmund Pluribus Unum, Pete Spicetti, 70s TV salesman, spy. 
D, really? And vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Zombie Doc, Edison, no mention on the podcast, please. Dotcom Junkie, DP4 Bongo, Jewish Lives Matter, 100 Mile Runner, Staff Sergeant Poopers, Berkeley, Stevens, Diana's Silent Slumbers, Katie S, Adam L, Double K Ranch, Yield Pinball Shop, John, The Opposable Thumbs for Dogs Foundation, Super Zoomy, Neil, Charles, Darren, Olin and Angela, DL, Stephen, Chad, Matt, Miranda, Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Richard, D Laser, just another pilot, Middle Age Mike, The Gen, J Pink, and Andrew. If you would like to have your name read at the end of the show, I have a feeling we're also going to get into, as we get closer to the midterms, that usually is when people start getting their their, their $10 tier in so they can make it their own little political sign at the end of the show. So we might need to do another uh, a nickname check for everybody there. But if you'd like to get in, takepoliticsseriously.com. You know, hopefully we get some good weather this weekend. I believe winter is over. I believe spring has sprung for much of the United States. I hope you guys have a great, great, great weekend. We will be back for you on Monday morning with the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show for patrons and for everybody else back on Wednesday as we normally do. Till then, is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying uh, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics and still more discuss politics but this this is the only show that dares discuss Dog and Pony Show Audio.